Well, good morning. Welcome to our uh, service. Those of you who are here and those of you who are tuning in online, we are thankful that you are here. This morning we are continuing our series on the book of Mark. And wherever you are in your journey of faith, wherever you are in your journey of life, we're glad that you are here. We are in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark as we look at the life and teachings of Jesus. And Mark uses the fourth chapter to put together a bunch of teachings that Jesus has on the nature of the kingdom. They're called parables. We begin with Mark chapter 4, starting in the first verse. You will see the words on the screen. Read along with me. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have enough soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that. They may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word. Well, sometimes Jesus says strange and hard things things that are hard to understand, and more often things that are hard to swallow. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey of faith if you're just considering Christianity for the first time or you've been a Christian for the longest time. Jesus says some strange and hard things. This passage is one of those times. Jesus says things here that are hard to understand and frankly 
hard to swallow for many of us. And Jesus is okay with that. Jesus does not come to us as a brand hoping to get us as his customers. He does not come to us as a buddy hoping to gain our friendship. He comes to us as Lord and God declaring his reign upon the earth, the nature of his kingdom and what it means to be his citizens. And he invites those of us who are his to come knowing just that. This is his world. This is his kingdom. This is his reign. These are his rules. Here in Mark 4, Mark putting together these series of teachings about the kingdom of God shows us just that, just here. The teachings here are in the form of a parable. A parable is kind of two things put together, pithy stories, word pictures using analogies to give concrete expression to abstract spiritual ideas. Here, most of the parables of chapter 4 are about the kingdom being like seeds, seeds that are scattered here in sowing, seeds that grow quietly, imperceptibly, invisibly upon the earth. That's most of them later in the chapter, but here... Here in a series of teachings aimed particularly at those of us who are following Jesus, but profoundly poignant to those of us who are considering Jesus, Jesus teaches three things. Firstly, how to understand how the kingdom works. Secondly, how to understand why it works that way. And thirdly, understand what our response or role is how his kingdom works, why it works, and how to respond to that. Firstly, how it works, this parable of the soils that fall on different grounds. Jesus is teaching by the sea. He's got a mixed crowd, followers, curious people. They're all here. And he teaches the nature of the kingdom. And he says it's like uh, seeds being sown by a farmer. And he is sowing generously, indiscriminately, rocky soil, on paths, thin soil, good soil. He's just throwing the seeds everywhere. Most of the seed sowing, because three of the four of them of the examples land on bad soil, most of it seems wasteful. Scholars are not sure if in Jesus' time people were actually plowing and then sowing inside the plows or still, which was the ancient way of doing it, just sowing everywhere and then maybe plowing later. But they are agreed upon this. The original hearer would know that Israel's soil is rocky. You can't tell the soil underneath all the time. And whether they're using old or new farming techniques, the point is they're just sowing everywhere. Because what Jesus wants to say here is that in my kingdom, the seeds are to be spread everywhere. The results will be mixed. Three of the four kinds of soil will reject the seeds. So the sower who sows must sow in faith that the seeds will find their way to the right soil. Hidden from the sower, from the person sowing, are the results. This, Jesus says, is the nature of the kingdom of God. And of course, this picture is firstly a picture of Jesus himself. He's the original sower. He's giving his teaching to anyone who will listen, but he knows most of them will reject him. But also, after Jesus has died, and then three days later, miraculously, but truly risen again, and then ascended into heaven, Jesus is saying, after I'm gone, 
This will be the nature of the kingdom that you will take charge of as my stewards. These same principles of sowing will be present for you. So, first implication, and this is mostly for those of us who are Christians. Sow widely. Sow indiscriminately. Jesus tells us later that the word is what the seed is. So in places that seem silly and unlikely to produce spiritual fruit. Tell the good news all over the place. Give the message of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus a wide audience to your friends, your neighbors, your family, your co-workers. Because you don't know the condition of the soil underneath. You may think you know, but you don't. People who seem to have it all together, people who seem to need nothing, may actually be seeking Jesus so in faith. We have um, a bunch of neighbors and we've talked to a bunch of them and over the years, over a decade plus of being there, most of them have shown a remarkable, friendly indifference. But every once in a while, something will happen and one of them will suddenly land on our porch with probing questions about the God we believe in. We've been observing this for years and they've been observing us for years and so they know where to go and they know what we believe and we sowed the seeds. Grace Toronto, we've had people come to these services from all walks of life, all kinds of religious backgrounds, quietly seeking God. We've had people we think have it all together. We have had famous personalities, both literary and media. We've had well-respected professors at our local universities. We've had gang members. We've had CEOs, Muslims, Sikhs, Buddhists, Hindus, and everywhere in between. Jesus is saying, keep sowing widely because you don't know the soil under the, underneath. And even though most of the times that you sow, it will seem to be rejected You are doing what you are called to do because you're imitating Jesus who did it himself. You please him for you now understand the nature of his kingdom. We don't control the soil. Our responsibility is sowing the seeds. Now this seems a little odd, this way of describing the kingdom, but then, so, so, so the disciples don't understand this exactly. They don't understand what's going on until he explains it. So they query him. They ask him, what, what, what's going on in this parable, and why are you giving us these parables anyways? And so in verse 11, Jesus responds with hard words. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside... Everything's in parables. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying something really hard. Hard to swallow, even if we understand it. He says, to those who follow me, a secret has been given that has not been given to everybody else. For those outside the faith who have not been given the gift, these parables they will see but not understand. They will hear but not get. Jesus is giving insight into why the kingdom works so mysteriously because the kingdom of God is God's. And God gives it as a gift to those whom he chooses. 
To those who do not get this gift, they do not understand. But God gives the ability to understand the gospel, to see Jesus truly, and respond to him appropriately to those whom he chooses. The rest don't understand. A couple quick implications. Firstly, to people who reject the gospel, it's not just a matter of rational thought and appropriate skepticism. Jesus is saying that your rejection of him is actually part of a much deeper, more mysterious, and profound spiritual process that you're not actually in control of. The core of that process is God himself and Jesus himself. And now we're at the core of what's so hard about the gospel. Because Jesus is saying what he will say many times over, that the kingdom is God's. He created it. He rules over it. And he gives it to whomever he wishes. Jesus will repeat this idea several times in the Gospels. For example, in John chapter 15, just before his last meal with his disciples, he will say to them, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should remain. John 15, 16. In encouraging his disciples that they, are not, they cannot lose their salvation, Jesus will say to both his disciples and a larger crowd in John chapter 6, 37, all that the Father, here's that word again, gives me will come to me. And who comes to me I will never cast out. It's a gift. The rest of the New Testament keeps repeating this theme. Paul says it perhaps most clearly. We've been chosen before the foundation of the earth. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, he says these words, starting in verse 8. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift. A gift of God, that no, not as a result of works, so that none may boast. Do you hear him? Faith is a gift. Coming and being part of God's kingdom is God's gift for God to give. It's not a gift if the one who possesses the gift does not have the right to give it to whomever they wish. Implications. If you're here listening and you're curious or investigating Christianity, I know this is a hard saying. It's hard for me to say it to you. Most of us begin our journey of faith deciding to investigate, try out, check out Christianity, to examine it. We, we, we kind of think like we're researching something we're going to buy. That's how I started mine in university. That's how almost everyone I've ever talked to, that's how they started theirs. We begin by asking, is Christianity for me? And that's sort of normal for the beginning stages. But it's not sustainable. Because you're not buying a new suit. You're not even buying a new car or a new condo or a new house. You know, when you buy a house, you look at a bunch of them and then choose the one you want and then make offers. When you come to Jesus, you're coming to God himself. And God is not a product you buy. God is not a brand you choose to follow. God is the creator of all things. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. He's the unimaginably holy, unimaginably beautiful creator of you. He is the person of persons. So here's the hard road you must travel 
in your journey of faith. Because to come to Jesus is to come to God and to switch the paradigm from I'm controlling this search to finally coming to the place where you give up control. You come to Jesus by stopping saying, I'm not sure I want you, to saying, I'm not sure you want me, but will you accept me? Now remember, sometimes we actually experience being willing to do this hard thing. Think of this one person you'd really love to meet in person. I don't know who that is on your bucket list. Think of it. You know, is it Kanye and Kim? I have no idea. Not for me. Is it Barack Obama getting closer to me? Is it Ed Sheeran? Yeah, I'd like to meet it. I don't know who that person is for you. For me, probably it'd be Tiger or LeBron. Whoever. What if that person invited you to come meet them post-COVID in a Toronto hotel at a certain time in a certain place, but you had to dress a certain way? Would you submit to those restrictions to meet that one person you've always wanted to meet? Yeah, you would. You see, you'd consider it a privilege to meet them. They are worthy of you submitting to their rules for meeting. You're not acting like a consumer. You're acting like an invited guest. You're acting like a refugee asking for sanctuary in a new nation. This is what I submit to you is like when you go to God. Because God is so much greater and more worthy than anyone on your bucket list. He is the one of greatest worth. Most worth submitting your own control to and submitting to his rules for meeting him. He's under no obligation to meet you. You are in some ways a stranger to him, in some ways actually a rebel against him. To the, to the degree that you want to run your own life independent of him, you define spiritually speaking, what that word sin means, to go independent of God, and that's a kind of rebellion against him. He's under no obligation to meet you. But the gospel says he became a human so you could meet him, so he could be met with and understood. God is not only under no obligation to meet you, he's under no obligation to love you and accept you. You have given him no moral reasons or obligations by your own life or your attitude for God to require you to require acceptance of you. God, sorry, God already had his entourage before he even created humans. He had God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They were perfect, perfectly loving, perfectly beautiful. He didn't need anybody. And yet the gospel says that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, when we were dead in our sin, made us alive, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear that? No obligation to meet, but he became human. No obligation to love, but he went to a cross. And he took all of our selfishness and all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of the things that makes him estranged from us. And he took them upon himself. And he bore your guilt and mine. He died for you and for me. The most worthy God did this. It's by grace. God went all the way to meet you, met you in the midst of where you were, and now invites you into his kingdom. He now invites you to the reality of how things really work, to the fellowship of him and his entourage, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He invites you into that 
stupendous community. Several years ago, a successful litigation lawyer um, was um, hanging out with our community. He uh, was a complete atheist as far as I know, but he became really provoked when another lawyer, younger than him, less experienced than him, he was you know, one of those apex predator type litigation lawyers, expected a certain deference. They wouldn't give it to him. They stood up to him. It was a quiet, introverted person. He couldn't understand it. So he asked for lunch to figure out what was wrong with this person. And when he probed, this person started to explain, well, I'm a Christian. And he said, you're one of those religious types? And she said, yeah, and I believe God loves you. So stunned was he that she would do that, sowing the seed to someone who seemed so uninterested. He kept pushing and probing. He joined a small group. He became the most hostile examiner and cross-examiners in that small group. And then he asked to meet with me. So I was, I was ready in this meeting for a really spirited exchange. And there down at a downtown restaurant in the heart of the path, he started to tell me his story. Everything had changed. He wasn't asking, is Christianity good enough for me? He said, I have rubbed shoulders with darkness in his life, in his work. And he wasn't sure God would accept him. And when he heard the words of grace, right there in that crowded restaurant, he gave his life away. That's the paradigm shift from will I accept you to will you accept me? That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom is like. It's his kingdom. It's his reign. It's his gift. It's his grace. Will you, will you take the gift if it's offered to you? Come to him. Christian, this is a hard issue for many of us to read. It means we can't control the spiritual journey of our friends, our neighbors, our family, It's hard to tell our friends that they're not in control of their own destiny. That's just the cultural narrative we have. It is hard. But let me tell you, it is also a comfort. It's a comfort because if you actually know the depth of people's inclination for autonomy, you would know that you don't have the persuasive power to change that. But God says he does. God says every person that we meet has this inclination There is none who understands. There's the word again. None who seeks for God. Romans chapter 3. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. You see those friends, those co-workers, those family members that you love. The Bible likens them to an addict who cannot break their addiction. Their addiction to control. It's too painful. They'd rather stay addicted to control than give up control to come to God. God must intervene and break the addiction. But God has the power to do so. The God who became human, the God who suffered for our sake and died on the cross is the God who rose again and says to each and every one of you, if you are willing, I will raise you and you will be one of mine. How does the kingdom work? like seeds scattered on all kinds of soil, so broadly, generously, indiscriminately.
Why does it work that way? Because God is the one who controls the soil. God is the one who gives his gift of seeing Jesus rightly and receiving him properly. And finally, how are we to respond? In the third paragraph, Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. He tells them that the seed that's being sown is the word. He tells them that the soils are different kinds of responses to the gospel. And so he's saying, respond rightly to his followers. Now, years ago when I had first become a Christian, the majority way that this parable was taught to me was there are four different kinds of people and there's a firewall between them and you have to figure out which one you are are you this first person who hears the word but immediately satan snatches it from so you never believe are you the second person who seems to believe for a while with joy but as soon as sufferings and tribulation come you walk away are you this third person who 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 hears the word but all the, the the cares and desires of the world distract you and take your priorities and you're not very fruitful? Or are you this fourth person who just is sort of this spiritual superman? Hmm. Bears all this fruit. Now there's something about the fact that these four different things are meant to be pictures of different ways that people respond. And so let's not lose that completely. But when you ask this question, which one is me, you're going to feel like I do it kind of feels hard to fit into one box. I'm no spiritual superman, but I still believe. Almost everyone that I talk to who are Christians, if they had to put themselves in one box, it would be box number three. The cares and the temptations of this world and the desires of my own selfish nature, these are the things that really compete in my soul for allegiance. As a pastor... I feel that way too. And almost all of you do as well. The problem with this way of seeing Jesus' world is it doesn't make sense of our lives. If you're here listening and you're a Christian, don't you face temptations from Satan to disbelieve? Don't you hit trials, tribulations, and suffering that really rock your faith and make you maybe want to walk away? Don't you daily struggle with the temptations that this culture gives you to feed your own desires? I do. Almost everyone I've talked to does. I bet that's you too. Men and women, there is no fourth soil that is free of these temptations. There is no super Christian. Every single Christian faces all three of these. These are three of the main obstacles the New Testament in its broader teaching says are the main obstacles to flourishing Christian faith. Trials and sufferings, temptations and cares of this present world, the lies of a deceitful and defiant devil. These are the things that capture our hearts and imaginations and tend to replace God in our hearts. This is us. I think what Jesus is saying is this fourth kind of soil is someone who faces these three. And despite these, with the help of the spirit of Jesus himself, living within them, despite these obstacles, these temptations, these challenges, through weakness, with doubt, but still with faith clinging in their hearts, feeling weak, feeling inadequate, feeling unsure, feeling tossed and turned and not really worthy of God. Don't you feel that way? 
These are the people who bear this unexpected fruit, this multiplied fruit, fruit not always seen in the present, but will come to light in the future. Fruitfulness through a sense of failure. Weakness and grace producing spiritually multiplied power. Because it's by faith we're saved. By faith through grace. And it's by faith through grace that we grow and bear fruit. They are not different. And so I say to you, is it not true that there are seasons in your life, deep times of trials and suffering and maybe even hostility to your faith that really tempt you to walk away from your faith? Well, read the book of Hebrews because that group of readers felt exactly as you do. Read the book of James. They know how you feel. Do the temptations and cares for worldly success and power constantly grab at your heart? Well, read First and Second Corinthians because that crowd knows your temptations. Do you feel the dark forces of spiritual resistance challenging you? Read the book of Ephesians. That book and that crowd knows where you are. You see, Jesus is saying more than just there are four kinds of people or responses. Although I do think he's saying that. He's saying to his disciples, these three obstacles you will face. But push through all of them. When it feels like your soil is rocky, when it feels like your soil is too thin to bear the weight of the trials and afflictions, first application, do this individually. Go to the objective work of the cross. Look at the one who called you into his kingdom. Did he bear the resistance of a defiant devil? Oh, he did all of his days. Did he bear the rejection and sufferings of this world? Oh, he was tortured and crucified. Did he bear the temptations and cares of this world? He was tempted, says the book of Hebrews, in every way. Look to Jesus and know that on your behalf he lived and died and suffered and triumphed over these three obstacles and his spirit is available to help you triumph over them. Ask for his spirit. Look to the objective work of the cross and ask for the the man who went to the cross to give you his spirit and power over them. Secondly, read the promises of his word. I I got stuck in COVID this week and the mounting discouragement of it and I, I got very discouraged, very melancholy. And then I went to God's word and I began to read Jesus's promises. And it took me out of the world of my circumstances and into the real world of his kingdom that his kingdom will not be stopped. And I gained deep encouragement to keep going. Look to the character of the God who calls you. He is beautiful. He is holy. He is faithful. He says, he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You are not finished. You are not perfect. But you are not alone. You are held. And he who began will bring you home by his grace. Finally, look to your community to see more rightly. Find someone, just one person that you can talk to through your struggles when the soil feels thin, 
when the soil feels rocky, when the, the thorns are choking you, have someone you can trust that you can talk to, who can pray with you, who can give you God's word. Let God's church speak God's promises, reveal God's worthiness, show you God's Jesus, his son, that you may endure. And go to him in prayer with your fear, your anxiety, your guilt, and feel his presence. You can. You can withstand these obstacles by his spirit, by his word, by his people, through prayer, through reading, through communing. Second application is for us as a community of faith. Be encouraged. In this description of the soils, it seems like some seeds landed on good soil, but three of the four soils... (laughs) rejected the seed. And yet the soil that's good ultimately produces amazing multiplied hundredfold fruit. I think Jesus is pointing to a dissonance here between what you will see in your present experience and what will eventually happen that you must believe through God's promises. You see, the church in every age feels like and almost in every age is a minority. It always seems like a small minority of people in every culture are Christian or becoming Christians. Except for some few eras in history, since the dawn of the church, the church has usually felt like a marginalized, small, weak institution. And yet, when Jesus wrote this, when God said this, and Mark wrote this a little later, there were 12 disciples and a few followers. Except for Judas. The 12 disciples were good soil and through their witness today. Sociologists say there are over 1 billion people who personally trust in Jesus as Christians who read and believe his word. More than a hundredfold. When the church trusts God, when we follow Jesus by loving each other and bearing witness to a seeking, though sad and sometimes self satisfied world we will bear fruit do not despair covid cannot stop these seeds from bearing fruit the devil cannot snatch all the seeds away the trials of this world cannot stop the temptations of this wealth and power and pleasure cannot stop the work of jesus in building his church he will build his church nothing can prevail against it I've been told many times over many years that my preaching and teaching has helped some people find Jesus. But according to these verses, they're wrong. God has given and done it all. All I've done is be a witness to it. But let me tell you, to the degree that I have any part in anyone finding new life or bearing fruit, it's because of the soil that has been nourished by the quiet fruit I've seen in you. The quiet fruit I've seen in the woman who battles depression and anxiety but quietly serves on Sunday mornings behind the scene faithfully week after week. The quiet fruit of a man who lost their ability to work during COVID but then praised God for how God had provided just enough money to get through to our present moment. The quiet fruit of the couples and there are many who have borne with quiet grace the tragedy 
of multiple miscarriages, some of these couples offering to minister to others through their own pain to help ease the pain. The quiet fruit of the single men and women who despite wanting to be married, persevere through their loneliness to minister to others, to care for others, to bear the load of aging parents, staying rooted in Christ, leading others, leading small groups, caring and serving despite the ache in their hearts. The quiet fruit of small group leaders over the years, every time I meet them, I leave those meetings. And I just left one and had to stop, thank God, and wipe a tear because of the privilege of knowing you and seeing your love and care for God's people and for the city, for our interns who serve and love so selflessly as they learn how to minister and they learn how to give the seed of the gospel and they show me that the future of God's church is bright indeed to the staff of our church who are so amazing. Your love for God and each other never ceases to encourage me and to the elders of this church who unbeknownst to most have loved and prayed and shepherded and cared for people to and beyond the limits of exhaustion, spiritually, emotionally, and physically this year, while having your own careers, your own families, your own issues with COVID, your own responsibilities to care for. Upon this rock, I will build my church, says Jesus, and upon the quiet, Seed sowing mature faith and encouragement of you. You have reminded me of people like Peter. Peter, the disciple who followed Jesus immediately, but then got called Satan because at one point he resisted Jesus' plan. He was so fooled by the devil, he told Jesus not to go to the cross. This same Peter, who when Jesus finally went on trial, buckled with the pressure of possible tribulation and a affliction and rejection and denied him three times. Peter had satanic obstacles. Peter had rocky soil. Peter had Satan distort his faith. He was weighed down by the cares of this world. And yet Peter, Peter, this fickle, stumbling Peter, this one just like us, was the one that Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Upon this rock I will build my church. Be encouraged so widely. Come to Jesus. Give him your soil. He will nutrify it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace. We pray that today we would see you in a new way. That they would agree that your call is the call of the king. And that's all we have. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a bunch of questions on our phone, but our phone is now asking me for an incorrect Apple ID and password, and I don't know this password for this phone. We have what I call a technical glitch. And so I am not able to answer all your questions yet, so I'm going to turn this phone off. I'm going to make a couple questions up uh, that I know are there. And then I'm going to answer them and see if this works. Okay? Uh, one of the first questions uh, that, that always comes up is, if it is indeed true that faith is a gift, 
then what is our role in terms of praying and telling people? Because it's really all God's place to do that. You know, the wonderful thing that this description does is it brings together two things. It brings together the fact that it is God who ultimately prepares the soils. But it also brings together a significant, dignified role for those of us who are his people. We're called to sow. We're called to sow in faith. We're called to trust God with the results. But we do have such a meaningful role. He has given to us the inexplicable privilege of giving the good news of Jesus to any who will listen. And so I say that there's a strangeness here that is hard to put together. I get it. Putting together human freedom and God's freedom is always tough. But I would say this. There's a role for human freedom that God says here, despite the fact that ultimate freedom is his. And so that's okay. Ah, we have been able to fix it. Oh, no, we haven't. It won't let me get in. I am going to uh, unlock this and... Uh, oh, oh, look at that. There we go. Okay, here we go. How is the offer of the gospel genuine if Jesus has already decided who will receive the word? Um, because you don't know the soil, you can offer it genuinely. Um, at the end of the day, you're faced with a dilemma. Either ultimately, the choice of who gets into God's kingdom is in the hands of those who defy Jesus, those who go their own way, those who are guilty before Jesus, or in the, they're in the hands of God and Jesus. Someone needs to have ultimate sovereignty over who gets in. And so the question of fairness is really the question that, that's probably underlying a bunch of these is, is it fair that God could say some things but not really mean them? Is it fair that God invites us but we don't know who's invited exactly? I submit to you that is hard. I'm not going to get around that. But I submit to you the other way of interpreting it is harder. It's saying that people who are guilty before God, people who have no right to come to God, actually have the right to say to God, you must accept me. I submit to you that that's actually more emotionally, spiritually, and morally unfair. So, great question. If Satan feeds on the gospel seed, does the gospel also nourish him? No, 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 no. He takes it away, but he doesn't nourish it. Great question. What does it mean to bear fruit? Uh, Read John 15 for what it means to bear fruit. Uh, but what it means is to abide in him and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I've got a bunch of other questions. I will respond to them on the phone, but I think it's time for us now uh, to move to our time of reflection. So I'm going to pray and invite the team up for reflection. Father, I thank you and praise you. And I ask now that as we respond, you would help us to understand these hard sayings and submit to the one who created us and who has the right to give us eternal life as a gift, in the gift of your Son. We can't earn it. We can't decide it. And we thank you that you have both decided to be a prodigal sower of the seed, and you've decided to give your life prodigally, that we might be able to receive it. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.